Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Tomlin signing an extension with the Steelers has kind of a water is wet feel to it, you know? Extremely expected. And at the same time, if I'm being honest here, there's at least a little bit of an element of surprise for me. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Steelers. Comes your way bright and early every weekday morning. If you're into hockey and or baseball, I also offer up daily shots of Penguins and Pirates right where you found this one. Yes, Tomlin signed an extension. Three years keeps him with the Steelers through the 2024 season. Contracts do and don't mean a whole lot in this context. They do in the sense that you eliminate any possibility of uh, controversy, anticipation, lame duck status, that kind of thing. Tomlin retains his authority. He earns his respect, not just from management, but also from the players. They know he's there. They, They know there's going to be stability. And they also know that he's going to be there after Ben is gone. And that might be the one teensy-weensy little surprise factor here for me. A few days ago on this program, I put forth the extraordinarily hypothetical notion that Tomlin could be entering his last year. Not as a prediction, not even as a supposition. It was just one billion percent hypothetical. If this, then that. And the reason that I did that is because so much of what Tomlin has done in his NFL career has come attached to Ben, and then a little bit later on to Marquise Pouncey. Pouncey's already gone. Ben's going to be 39 years old. It's at least fair to consider that the coming year will be Ben's last in the NFL. Obviously, he hasn't said so. I don't know that anybody's going to say so. I would imagine that'll be determined by how the season goes, how he feels, contract stuff, and everything else. But if you look at the way the Steelers and Ben just went through a semi-ringer to get him back for 2021, it's again, it, it's fair to presume that this this could be it. So if I had to look at the Tomlin contract and the timing of it and try to guess what all went into it, that might be it more than anything. That I think Tomlin would would have wanted to erase this idea that he's tied to Ben. 
This portion of Daily Shot of Steelers is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George, LGKG. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who need help with workers' comp, who filed medical malpractice claims. Check them out at lgkg.com or give them a call at 888-842-5454 and tell my man Larry Kelly I sent you and say hello. The surprise portion of this is that Tomlin, for as much energy and passion and everything else as he exhibits, he's been at this a while. And this is a high-stress, high-demand job that when you get right down to it, might be, I don't know, I, I don't like comparing occupations because then you sound like you're insulting this or insulting that. And, and really, when you analyze everything and you put all of the various jobs on the planet into perspective and then you leave out like coal mining, you know, you lose the argument right away. But he's got a tough job in the public eye. He navigates it extremely well. He does maintain a fence for his privacy, which cannot possibly be easy in this market. And he conducts his business in an extremely organized, methodical, professional way, but I'm sorry, that has just got to wear you down, you know? And I had heard and reported some speculation from within that he might be done when Ben is done, that he might be slowing down makes it sound like he's getting old. He's, he's still not an older guy. But he might be thinking to himself, hey, you know, I've got a couple kids in college. Uh, I've got different things that I want to do with my life other than just to coach football forever and ever and ever. I'm not Andy Reid. I'm not Bill Belichick. I, I, you know, I've got other horizons that I want to broaden. So that struck me as being really a palatable possibility. And the other component is there's nothing in the game that he hasn't achieved. I know three playoff wins in the last nine years and all that other stuff, and I'm completely on board with that criticism. But the day that Mike Tomlin does retire, no one will be discussing three playoff wins in nine years. No one will be discussing that loss to Jacksonville or that loss to Cleveland. They'll be talking about Super Bowl champion, uh, twice in the Super Bowl, multiple conference championship appearances, uh, one of the best regular season records of any coach in NFL history, and they'll be talking about his broader legacy. Some of the stuff that I mentioned, uh, the stuff, the way he's handled uh, difficult situations along the way, on and off the field. The guy's become a great NFL coach. Not good, not very good, great. 
and the Steelers are fortunate to have him. And, and when he does retire, that's going to be the focus. He's accomplished whatever it is, or way beyond whatever it is, that either he or the team could have dreamed possible when he was hired. So he'd leave with no regrets. And he's anything but the type to look back anyway. The guy doesn't even want to talk about the previous week's game. Everything about him is the coming Sunday, this coming Sunday, this coming Sunday. So it seemed plausible to me. So what what I'm looking at here instead now with the three years is what what does he want to do here? What's his what's his goal? What's his is it legacy based? Is he looking at finding a way to have one last run? Like with Bill Cowery, you could kind of sense you could sense around I'd say the about his ninth or tenth year because he'd had all these crushing losses in the playoffs, remember? And he was that guy who couldn't win the big one. Great in the regular season, couldn't win the big one. Even that San Diego debacle at Three River Stadium. No, especially the San Diego debacle. And you were convinced this guy couldn't do anything. And I always felt like Cower was going to hang around until he broke through. And then when he had the big chance there with the bus in Detroit and he took it home, you could also get the sense that that wasn't going to be it, like right on the spot, but it wasn't going to take a whole lot longer. Cower, smart guy, was going to find other things to do with his life. Tomlin, smart guy, could very conceivably find other things to do with his life at any point. But he's already won a Super Bowl. And if you think that he feels like, uh, you know, with the, the lowest common denominator of local talk show callers that attach uh, Tomlin's championship to Carr, yeah, you won with Carr's players, which is the most nonsensical of nonsensical things. I mean on so many levels, not least of which is that he's not the GM. Tomlin won a Super Bowl. Tomlin's won an awful lot of things since then. Wasn't a Super Bowl, but he's done tons on his own merit. He could have left, and he didn't. Is he a coach for life? Is he a coach for as long as he wants to be? Is he going to be Andy Reid, where he just hangs around doing this forever? Bruce Arians? Dick LeBeau, guys like that? Does he see his legacy as being one that won't be complete until he wins another one? Does he have anywhere in the back of his brain that he won with Cowers players? You see what I'm getting at here? I'll take it even further here. Does he see his legacy as an African-American head coach in the league, especially at a time like this, as being something that's still somehow, for whatever reason, unfulfilled? You know, he's made comments within the past year 
critical of NFL teams for not giving enough of a chance to other black coaches. He hasn't named them, but guys like Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, real candidates that don't even get a look. I don't know. It's hard to get into his head. I've covered him for years. I've spoken with him on and off the record. I've spoken with him in football settings, and I've spoken with him in completely private, spontaneous settings with his family. And I still don't feel like I know the first thing about the man. Actually, I'm going to take this further. I don't think he knows my name. I don't think he knows the name of about 99.999% of the people who cover the team. And I don't ever take that as an insult. I see that as this is just someone who's just so immersed in his job, uh, in what's on the inside of the Steelers' world, that everything that's on the outside is just noise. I've never taken that personally. And maybe he really is that immersed. Maybe he really is that into it. Maybe he is a lifer. Andy Reid, Bill Belichick, and those guys. We'll see. We'll find out, I guess. It'll take a while, but we'll find out. When we come back, just one question. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back. It's time for Just One Question. And today's entry comes from Mr. G, who says, Everything is now situational football. Two down players, third down pass rushers and running backs, empty sets, For some teams that are even situational quarterbacks, it happens everywhere except the offensive line. Why not sub out offensive linemen on short yardage plays? If we can bring in a sixth OL or two tight ends, why not replace the great pass protector average run blockers with a couple of earth movers who can get us two yards against the Grant building? First off, Mr. G, I love the Grant Building reference. You could have picked any building downtown, and you took the Grant Building. Um, just a listener after my own heart with the uh, the oblique downtown reference there. I like this idea. I don't understand the idea of sticking with, and let's name names here. You didn't. You might be a nicer person than I am. But let's talk about sticking with Alejandro Villanueva, for example, in a run-blocking situation when you know that not only is he not going to deliver that for you, but to some extent he doesn't even really want to. And I know some listeners have been getting critical of me for picking on the offensive line and accusing them of not wanting to and whatever. I'm sorry. I've watched the season, 
And I've watched these guys in previous seasons, and I know the difference. They were not into run blocking at all. And the one who exposed that, the one who embarrassed them in that regard, was Kevin Dotson. Dotson shows up one game, and all of a sudden he's knocking people back 10 yards, and you're going, where where the heck are the rest of you? They're all still at the line of scrimmage. Sealing. Sealing their blocks. Nothing downhill, nothing downfield. So, yeah, I think if you have earth movers, get them on the field. I love this idea. I I don't understand why you would be reluctant to switch up offensive linemen except for the whole, you know, chemistry and this and that and we got each other's backs and so forth. Nonsense. Nonsense. Are you advertising by bringing in a sub package? Sure you are. Of course you are. You're doing that every time you bring in a sub package on defense too. You know, when you bring six DBs out there, you're not fooling anybody. You know, you're not about to bring the house up front. But you can do that on offense as well. Look, if you're talking about third and one, fourth and one, the the two situations that were the most vexing for this offense, the most maddening for this offense in 2020, they can put up a giant neon billboard over on Mount Washington that can be seen from the inside of Heinz Field. It can be seen from the visitor sideline that says, Hey, Harbaugh, we're running it. And it won't matter if you can impose your physicality and impose your will on the opponent. And you do have a far better chance of achieving that with the type of players that you describe. However, however, before we take this too far, let's ask who are those players? Who are those guys? If you're asking in the retro sense, sure, they could have taken out Allie, they could have taken out other guys and you know put in Dotson or whatever else but you have to have those players and I'm not looking at the Steelers offensive line depth at the moment and saying oh well, here's a couple of earth movers just standing there on the sideline you have to actually have the people to do this maybe this is a, an issue that's closer to roster construction than it is usage Maybe you do develop your offensive line to apply toward a sub-package mindset. Hmm? Just, just something to think about. Really, really good question. Mr. G coming in, comes in here and just hits it out of the park like that and then struts off. Thanks to everybody for listening to this. We'll do another Daily Shot of Steelers. <laughs>
That's the point. Point Park University. Your front door. Your car. Your gym locker. Your gun. Safety is a habit. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure. Visit projectchildsafe.org.